Well, we are glad to have each and every one of you here, and those of you that are joining us online, thank you for joining us. Thank you for this opportunity to share the Word of God. We are visiting with Peter. Chapter 10 of Acts, we're going to pick him back up in verse 17. The Bible says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion, he is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Boy, is this a great time of, of looking at this lesson for where our world is today. Luke, the author of, of Acts, spends more time in talking about Cornelius and his conversion experience than he does any other thing in the book of Acts. And there's a reason why more time is spent on this because it is literally the introduction of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentile nation, to the Gentile world. It is a a phenomenal time where all of a sudden not only does the leader of the church at Jerusalem, Peter, become overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, but he is introduced into becoming one of the leaders of the introduction of the gospel to the non-Jewish world. And so here we have Cornelius, who we have said lives in Caesarea, which is basically 25, 30 miles away from uh, Joppa, where Peter was staying. Caesarea is the capital city of Judea, which was uh, mapped out there by the Roman government. And here is Cornelius, a centurion, which meant that he was in charge of at least 100 plus men. He was a Roman soldier. He had seen it all. He was a battle-hardened veteran. And he was one who uh, could quell a riot or a disturbance very fast. He was not a man uh, that you would want to toy with, if you will. You certainly wouldn't want to be on his bad side. But Cornelius had been a man that the Bible says that he was a God-fearer. A God-fearer simply meant that he had, he had turned away from the pantheon of gods in the Roman uh, culture and the, the Greek pantheon of gods. And he came to believe that there was only one God and it was the God that the Jews worshipped. And as a God-fearer, he began to embrace much of their religious custom and their beliefs and could even be in the outer court of the temple, not allowed to come beyond the court of the Gentiles. But because he was a God-fearer and not a full proselyte, 
He was one that, that embraced some of their uh, religious philosophy, traditions, etc. But he did believe in one God. But being a man who was a good man, who gave alms to the poor, who prayed regularly, who obviously was a man of integrity, Cornelius was lost. He was not a, a born-again believer. He was, in his prayers, obviously looking for that. And during that prayer time, uh, this angel appeared to him and told him, if you want to, basically, if you want to find the end of your quest, call for Peter. He'll come and speak to you about the one that he serves. So Cornelius sends three men down to Joppa. After two days' travel, they arrive at Simon the Tanner's house and begin to call out for Peter. So as, as Peter is listening and trying to un, understand that vision that he just had of the sheet that was lowered from heaven by four corners and they were both clean and unclean according to Jewish dietary law animals on there and he said get up Peter kill and eat and Peter said I, I can't do that I've never done anything bad according to Jewish law and the response was don't call anything impure that God has made clean now we say that because that vision was repeated three times an interesting thing that you might want to make a connection with there were three Gentiles who were at the door. So each one of these visions, the repetition, could apply to each one of these three Gentiles as well. Do not call unclean what God has cleansed. Don't do it, Peter. So Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision when the men came. And then verse 19 says, Peter was still thinking about the vision. When the Spirit said, go downstairs, three men are looking for you. Wow, you think that's pretty definite? I think it is. It, the beauty of it is, is that God had already prepared the heart of Cornelius and family and friends for Peter. Now the trick was to prepare Peter's heart for Cornelius and his family and friends. So God is up to the task, folks, of preparing hearts to not only receive him, but also to proclaim the good news to those that are looking for the gospel, looking for the answers to their questions. God's preparing your heart, perhaps, to go into uh, your family, your friends, this Thanksgiving season where we come into contact with a lot of family members, friends, even in Christmas season especially is a good time to recognize the fact that God is at work, not only in preparing the soil, but preparing the sower to sow the seed. And so here he's preparing Peter with this particular thing. And you see, Peter was still thinking about this vision, and he was told to go downstairs. There's three men there at the gate looking for you. So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. And he asked them, why have you come? Sometimes we just need confirmation and affirmation that what we think we heard of God is what really is. And so he asked these men, why did you come? 
You're looking for me. Is it another issue maybe? Are you coming from another source? What's the situation? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and a God-fearing man. He is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. You're the man, Peter. There have been years that have gone by since Pentecost. And Peter was the recognized leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And Peter's ministry was very effective in ministering to Jewish-only people. But now God was preparing Peter's heart to go and bring this good news to the Gentile nation. So, then Peter invited the men into his house. Wow. Into his house. Well, that was strange. Because as God began to break the barriers down with Peter, one of those barriers said, under no circumstances can a Jew invite a Gentile into his house. Because Jews felt that they were on such a level higher than anyone else, that they were on such an elite course with God, that was their own admission. That wasn't God's purpose at all. That, that if a Gentile entered into their house, it would make it unclean, and they'd have to go through this ceremonial washing or cleansing of the house to clean it of any kind of Gentile contact. But here's Peter. He's already seen this vision of this sheet being lowered on all four corners, and he has already been told by God, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So here are these three emissaries from Cornelius who are standing at the door. What does Peter do? He invites the men in to be his guests. Not just to stand off in a corner, go to the kitchen until I'm there, get on the back porch, I'll meet you back there. Come around the back door maybe. It wasn't any of that. Come through the front door. Be my guest. Stay in this house with me. And so as his guest, these three Gentile emissaries spent the time with him. Now the Bible says the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Well, we find out in the next chapter there were six Uh, circumcised Christian believers that went along with Peter. Six men. The Bible says that you only need two or three witnesses to validate any particular event. And yet, there were six witnesses that went along with Peter. So there were three times as many as needed by Jewish law. And so, they arrived two days later, being 30 miles away. It was a two-day trip. And the Bible says that, that Peter started out with these men. Now, I couldn't help but think about the conversations that took place at that Simon the Tanner's house that night between Peter and these three emissaries as they were explaining to them about all the things that Cornelius had been experiencing. His, his religious quest how he wanted a relationship with God the Father, how he was told to send for Peter who would tell him how to find that relationship with God the Father. He was a good man, a man of of high integrity. 
He was a good, uh, good husband, a good father. He was a good family member. He was a great provider. He was a great soldier. His men looked up to him. He, the Roman government respected him. He had his own house. Evidently, it was a pretty good-sized house in Caesarea, the capital of Judea. And so then as Peter starts out with his two-day trip, you know they're conversing on the way back to Caesarea. And you know their conversation had to be not only around Peter and perhaps his six friends that went with him as witnesses, but also about these three emissaries as well. Tell me something more about them. I always want to know about people that I'm visiting. And so the Bible says that the following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, you think? Four days. Can you imagine what Cornelius was thinking? And the Bible says he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now that's got to be a good-sized crowd. Those of you that are teachers or preachers, you know, man, when you've got an audience that's anticipating your arrival like that, oh, it's like putting meat in front of a hungry dog. You know, it's just, <laughs> let's go. Oh, this is great. And so Peter stated the obvious there. Peter entered the house. Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Can you picture that? I just get this image in Caesarea. Here's this centurion officer and he is in his house looking down the street watching to see the dust being stirred by a gathering of people that are coming toward him he probably wasn't expecting that large 10 people but he was expecting Peter and his three emissaries that were commissioned to bring Peter back watching watching the street watching the horizons waiting for these people to arrive at his house. And then when Peter, when he saw Peter come down the road, and he could make him out because he knew that was the leader. He had heard all about Peter. I mean, the stories were rampant throughout that region about these born-again believers of Jesus Christ. Wow. So when Peter came, it was more than he could do. And this, this military officer, this representative of the Roman government falls at Peter's feet. And he says, stand up. I'm only a man myself. Whatever you do, don't worship me. That would be the wrong place. Well, then while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Who all did he talk to? Cornelius. Well, you know he had his family, his wife, his kids, Brothers, sisters, probably cousins, if they were there. Nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, whoever was involved in the family gathering. And then there were friends. There were those that were neighbors. There were those that had worked with him. There were soldiers that were close to him. And he had all these people, and he had told them in his four days, the vision the angel had placed on his heart. And that he had sent for Peter. And when Peter gets here, I can see him now. He'll tell you what you need to know about God, about Jesus, the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God. He'll tell you. Oh, boy. So Peter addresses the elephant in the room. Do you ever have elephants in the room? Whoa. Boy, you can feel the air is so heavy. You walk in, 
and you can see the look on their faces when Peter walks in. And they're, they're actually looking in his face to see if, about his level of comfort. And Peter walks in and looks at them and says, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And it's like the air goes out of their balloons. We knew it. We knew it. He's just another Jew. They probably thought immediately. It's against the law. It's against the law for a Jew to have a Gentile in their house. It's against the law for a Jew to enter a Gentile's house. And yet here's Peter, the leader of the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem, and he's standing right there. Well, let me tell you. Well, I've had this conversation with a number of people over the years about certain elephants, certain things that seem to be sacred cows, if you will, of of topics that you just don't discuss. And what you want to do, bring it up. Put it on the table. Let's talk about it. So Peter did just that. He said, you, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. And you could probably see him going, yeah. But God, I love it. Anytime you see a but God, you just know that God is intervening in a way that is going to give Him the greatest glory. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now He's made the connection between the vision of the sheets and the Gentile people. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. No doubts. No hesitation. I came. So whatever God is calling you to do or that person that He's calling you to contact, to see, to talk to, don't raise any objection. Remember, there is yes and there's Lord. There is no and there is Lord. But there's never no Lord. There's always only yes, Lord. And so He says, may I ask you why you sent for me? Well, He had already asked the contingency of three men the emissaries. Now he asked Cornelius, tell me. Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying. At this hour and three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I went for you immediately. Cornelius is saying the same thing. I didn't hesitate. God told me to send for you and I immediately sent my three emissaries to find you. And then he says, and it was good of you to come. Thank you. You didn't have to, but I so appreciate it. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Can you picture that crowd behind him? of relatives and friends. And they're just, they're on the edge of their seats. Here it's coming, guys. Well, here Peter begins his message. And this message has seven points. And by the way, this is the first sermon recorded in the Scripture preached to a Gentile audience. So Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts 
from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Point number one, God shows no partiality. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. God loves us all equally. He doesn't love anybody more than he loves somebody else. He doesn't love anybody less than he loves somebody more. God is impartial. He loves us all equally. And it doesn't matter what your culture is, what your age is, what your background is, what you've done in life. God still loves you as much as He has ever loved anyone who has ever walked the face of this earth or whoever will walk the face of this earth. God loves you equally with everyone. Peter said, I have come to realize that God is impartial. He doesn't show favoritism. He accepts from every nation. That's a big deal for an Orthodox Jew to state. It's a big deal for you and I to state. All of us have prejudices. Sometimes we have prejudices about economic situations, about job situations. Sometimes we have prejudices about education. Sometimes it's about cultures. It's about nations. It's about political background. We have prejudices. Let's admit it. And so, like Peter, we have to come to that place where we realize that God is impartial and does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation, every tribe, every ilk. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. There's none righteous, no, not one. Israel's not any more righteous than a Gentile nation, nor is a Gentile nation any more righteous. We are not, as believers, loved any more by God than non-believers are. Or less. So just know that. Peter says, God shows no partiality. Secondly, continue on. As he, he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. You're God-fearer. You've heard it. You've been in those experiences, Cornelius. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You want to have peace? You've got to have Jesus. You don't, you don't have Jesus? You're not going to have peace. And He is Lord of all. Jesus came as a man, but is Lord of all. He is the one that will usher you into the relationship with the Father. He is Lord of all. He is Lord of believers and unbelievers alike. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who is going to ultimately be in control of the world's eternal destination. Wow. And so, then he talks about verse 37 and following. He said, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with Him. So, not only was Jesus the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, but He was the one that destroyed, the, broke the works of evil. He was the one that broke the works of Satan and his minions. He was the one that would drive the demons out of people's lives. He was the one that would heal from sickness. He was the one that overcame, ultimately, death, which Satan thought was going to be his final hurrah. Wow. And then fourthly, as we're moving on through this, then he says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. 
and in Jerusalem. And then, to this centurion officer, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. He was crucified. He died. We are witnesses that they did this. Cornelius, you're a Roman officer. You're a soldier. You're one that Rome has commissioned to execute people by crucifixion. And you can imagine all the people. You're talking about an elephant in the room. You, your, your soldiers killed Jesus. He didn't linger on that point very long. He just simply said he was crucified. Now that image all of a sudden swells up in the hearts and minds of in the entire audience. Because crucifixion was a horrible thing. Cicero, the Roman orator, said the cross is so terrible that it should not even be mentioned in polite company. It was such a brutal, such a cruel, such a horrible form of execution. And they always put these criminals on the, the most well-traveled roads in the region with the, the allegations written above the particular criminal being crucified. So that anybody coming by would not only see the horror of that particular execution, but would read the charges above the head of the criminal and realize that if you do these things, you will be crucified. And he said, Jesus was crucified. The Roman government did this to him. But he died. And we are witnesses of the fact that he died. But he doesn't leave it there. Nor will you. They killed him by hanging on a cross. But God, there you go again, raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Wow. Well, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We are witnesses. The Bible tells us in Acts 1 that, that Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days after the resurrection showing himself alive after many infallible proofs. Amen. And the Bible says that, that on that day that he ascended into heaven, he was eating with them and told them what was to come. Wow. So there he is. Peter was a witness. I've seen him. I'm apostle because I witnessed the, the, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've seen him alive. I know he lives. Point six, he says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. That is our mission. That's what I'm out here doing, Peter says. I'm out here to proclaim the fact that He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the judge now and He will be the judge for all eternity. And then the seventh, final point. He says, All the prophets testify about Him. That everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Acts 4.12 There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus. That condition, whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, the promise shall not perish but have everlasting life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Cornelius, I'm telling you that until you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, all your righteousnesses are to no avail as far as salvation is concerned. 
You must know Jesus Christ. In this day of of what they call post-Christian era, there are so many people throughout the world that believe that all roads lead to God. No, all roads don't lead to God. That only road that leads to God goes through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. And that is it. Period. You might think your good works outweigh your bad works and that God has some kind of an accounting ledger up there to determine whether your good outweighs your bad, like they do in in the uh, Islamic faith. But the reality is, is He says, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name, through Jesus. Now, if you're listening to this message and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, know the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Period. It's not through your yoga. It's not through your mantra. It's not through anything else. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. I am the door, Jesus said. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so forth. Hmm. Now, Peter was preaching, and then they interrupted him. The Holy Spirit interrupted him. Don't you hate it when that happens? Uh, that's, that's all right. The Bible says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit interrupted him. Came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, not only was there the uh, the meeting, there was the message, now there's the manifestation. This is a parallel event, folks, to Pentecost. Who is the principal there at Pentecost? Peter. Peter was told by Jesus to tarry or to wait, to linger in Jerusalem until you have been empowered with power from on high. And they were in that upper room gathered together in prayer for days. And then finally the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in different languages that were being understood by all the number of people and tribes that were gathered together for the observance of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It wasn't glossolalia or babble. It was, it was known tongues. And it was evidence that the Holy Spirit had come to the Jewish nation. Now, some years later, we're seeing this revisited where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon those people in the Gentile nation. And all of a sudden, that multitude of people that were gathered in the household with Cornelius turned their hearts and lives over as Peter said, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin through His name. And they began in their hearts and minds believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter's message, his sermon, by coming into the hearts of the people who believed. Now, I just want to let you know, just a little aside here, that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. I've heard people tell me you've got to be baptized in order to be saved. Do you see an order here? They were baptized after they were saved. After the Holy Spirit came into their hearts, they were baptized. Well, he said, Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've trusted the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. Why not be baptized? 
They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they were immediately. Now, baptism, you're not, does not, you're not saved by being baptized. But you're baptized to reflect the fact that you are saved. Baptism is your public profession of faith. It is that symbol, that, that covenant relationship that exists between you and Jesus Christ is being symbolized in that baptism. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and demanded it for those that would be his followers because it was a symbol. It was a symbol. It signified something. It was a public profession of faith and identity with Jesus Christ. The immersion is being buried with Christ into his death. Like Christ, we are being raised to walk in a newness of life. So there, that the tongues indicated the Holy Spirit had been given to the Gentiles just as it was given to the Jews at Pentecost. And there we have it. You're here this morning. Maybe you're listening to this message. And you're debating it. But you, like Cornelius, maybe you've been very religious. Or maybe you think that you've been very a good person. How many times have I come to a funeral and somebody simply says, well, they were really a good person. Did they trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I ask? And sometimes the response is, they were good people. Good people. It's not what I asked. Not what I asked. If I were to tell you there's only one way to get to a destination and you tell me you're going to take a detour or circumvent that way, I'd say to you, there's only one way to get to that destination. That's it. Go from point A to point B. To do that, to spend your eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, is to go by faith through Him and Him alone. Him alone. Do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you made that public profession of faith in Him? Have you followed Him in baptism by immersion? Are you looking for a church family? Boy, we got one for you. If you're hearing this message and you're in another community somewhere, find yourself a church that honors and glorifies the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Find a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church and get active. Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? This invitation is for you. I'll be here at the, at the front afterwards. Just tell me what's on your heart. If you're interested in coming to know more about Jesus, if you're interested in know more about the church, I'll be more than happy to answer those questions to you. Would you stand with me as we have a word of prayer? Our most gracious Father, we come before you. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us. Have strayed from you. Our sin has separated us from you. But Jesus was given to us that we would have a bridge to you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing there, Father. Thank you for the decisions that are being made. Thank you for those who are watching online who are trying to find that answer to a life abundant and life eternal. May they know you, Father. May they give their lives over to you, trust you, ask you to come into their lives.
forgive us of our sin and become our Lord as well as our Savior. Thank you, Father, for these decisions being made. We lift them up to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I pray that you all have a great Thanksgiving experience. I look forward to seeing you Tuesday at 5. God bless. Happy Thanksgiving.